0: General Vagon has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering blood-red skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. Good evening and welcome to Episode 4 of the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by my good friends, Brett and Chris, and we're going to talk about Beyond the Box Set. We're going to talk about all those things you may not have thought about when you first went out, bought your box set, and maybe even played your first couple games, painted up some miniatures, but there are things you're going to realize pretty soon that you probably want to add to your arsenal. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brett. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great, man. Great. Awesome. Glad to hear that. So let's talk about a couple of these things, because I know uh, we started off sharing a box set and, well, that was a recipe for disaster. Uh, And I think between us, we've bought at least four box sets that I know of. Uh, Chris can't seem to stop buying them and giving them away. So, hey, everybody, become friends with Chris. He'll buy you a box set. (laughs) Hey, he's my son. (laughs) All right. I guess that's a legitimate person to buy a box set for. Uh, But there's a lot of things that all of a sudden uh, you play either against other players around uh, around your uh, city or around the uh, tournament scene. Uh, you start realizing there's a lot of other gear that people have and there's, there's things you may not have thought of uh, when you plunk down the money you bought your box set. And there are things you probably ought to buy before you buy more airplanes. Now, I realize that is heresy and I realize that none of us on this podcast follow that advice. Well, except maybe Brett. I think Brett spent as much money on additional stuff as he did on airplanes. But I know uh, both Chris and I kept buying box after box of airplanes before we bought the rest of the gear for the game. So one of the things I really wanted to talk about was gaming mats. Because unfortunately, if you go out there, there are more options than most people know what to do with for gaming mats. Brett, you're kind of our mat guru. So I know uh, Chris and I have both picked some up, but Brett, you've spent a lot of money on gaming mats. And thank you, because they were awesome to have a choice of three to four different mats the last time we played down in Jacksonville, but uh, tell us what you found out there.
1: It was important to me to to get a mat or something, you know, to establish the narrative, right? It has to look good. The planes look awesome, but they look kind of dorky just on a pool table or something, right? So pretty soon, pretty, pretty much right. When we got back from Adepticon, I was hunting the internet for aerial mats that were the appropriate scale. And I found a few websites that have a a lot of variety and one in one in particular it's um tiny they have the most diverse selection of mats that would work in this scale Uh, from many i mean there's i've seen onesies and twosies in other places but these guys have tons and it's surprising the amount of stuff they have and i think they have the capacity to even do custom things i mean i think I haven't, I haven't done this myself, but I believe if you look at their website, they may have the capacity to you know, take a photograph or a map or something that you give them and turn that into a big map for, or a big mat for you. Uh, we, got a, uh, we got three mats from them, and they're all really nice.
2: This, this is something I really don't need to hear, being a Russian wargamer, because now I'm thinking about, hmm. <laughs> Let's yeah. order a bunch of cast, custom gaming mats. Yeah, well, yeah don't no.
0: worry you could save yourself some money and just borrow brett stalingrad one which you know, is the world war one looking map that uh, has fortifications burnout cities and everything else yeah, on that it. that was a pretty cool map that was that was, fun an, that, was a, that was a fun map
1: yeah that was kind of so i got three mats to start with right because we have pacific theater stuff so i got a pacific sea mat which is nothing more than a big blue ocean with some white caps on it but it looks great scale is perfect uh i got another uh, a battle of britain map right which has a bunch of the channel and then a sliver of the maybe Dover coast or Kent or whatever. It's clearly, you know, coastal. I found that mat online
2: too with them and they actually print that mat the long way also. So you can get that mat where it's half of it, half the mat on the long side, the six foot side is the coastline. So you've only got, you've got less blue. And I think that's the one I'm going to order for, um, for having up here. It's definitely one of my starter mats.
1: I bet that looks really nice. The, uh, the other mat I got was that one we just talked about, which, i think when you look really closely at it i would guess maybe it's world war one but the scale is good and really on at the tabletop level it really looks like it could be defense of the reich maybe eastern the eastern front you know it's got the the colors look right for you know just kind of a, a dismal kind of terrain. I don't I don't know how else to describe it but
2: no, it, it does look like the eastern front. It looks like, you know, the, the the German army marching across the tundra headed, you know, trying to take Stalingrad and Moscow and and the perfect thing for for flying German versus um Russian games over.
0: Yeah, and it, it was great cuz it already had the crater markers, so when Lydia got shot down and became a smoking hole, I it was <laughs> right there already on the map. Right, Chris? It was one game, dude. <laughs> one game. <laughs>
2: You just you just loving you shot down, Lydia. Trust me. Trust I, me. I
0: do. I do. I Get enjoyed you. taking your ace out right well, at the
2: beginning. When of the game. you put your pretty British airplanes on the board, which you didn't do with me, there will be some retribution. <laughs>
0: Excellent. <laughs> Excellent.
2: <laughs> we Sorry, Britt. We're going to play Russians versus. Actually, we're just going to have to do alternate history. So I think uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll just
0: write alternate history. We could
2: figure and this there out. There you go.
1: That mat we keep talking about as being like an Eastern front mat came from a place called deep cut studios, also in the UK. I think if you Google search, you can find it. But the other two mats I got came from tiny war games and uh, they have a US distributor as well. I didn't realize that when I f- or ordered my for- first mat, but uh, all the mats you see there, apparently you can get if you're in the U S from a US distributor. And uh, really I-, I was emailing back and forth, both the guy from the U S distributor and the guys in England, and they were all super cool. Um, and the mat selection is just amazing. I mean, they have uh, just mats that you can get that are already in their, in their uh, catalog are things like Pearl Harbor, uh, Malta. There's just, just a, a ton of them. It's pretty amazing. And yeah, uh, one, of
0: the, one of the things we really need to talk about is the materials. Because, you know, I, I purposely ordered some uh, cheaper ones off Amazon because uh, I was going to cut them up for backgrounds rather than actually use them as, uh, as gaming mats. Uh, but tell me about the material of those mats.
1: Ones I ordered were and, and for all three, they were mouse pad mats. Uh, but you don't have to get them that way. You can get them in thinner material. Uh, I think on the Tiny War Games site, they advertise a material that is machine washable. I think they have a photograph on their gallery that shows several of their mats hanging up on a clothesline in someone's backyard or something. So, uh, you know, that's, and, and they're a little less expensive. I, I opted for the mouse pad material, even though it's more expensive. Uh, just because I like, yeah, but the... I, I think the difference
2: is only like 15 euro when I was looking at the website and I can tell you the difference between a mouse pad mat and a cloth mat for 15 euros. <laughs> I, I think I'm spending yeah. 15 euros with oh, yeah. the mouse pad mats. I mean, my, my 30 K mouse pad mats have been everywhere. I drag them everywhere and they roll out and they look the same way every time. Yeah. Um, and I've seen some Absolutely. of the cloth and PVC mats and they just, they just don't, they don't take the wear um, that the, the mouse pad mats do. And I I guess there's a little difference too, because you're not throwing terrain down on the mat constantly like you are with other games, but still, I, I just, I love the mouse pad material.
0: That is, that is the one advantage. If you really want to be cheap and you go for the vinyl PVC style ones, there's just a couple things you got to realize is they are going to tear up faster between rolling them up, you know, whatever creases you accidentally get in it. Uh, thankfully, like, like Chris said, we're not throwing terrain on top of it. Uh, but the the other part that maybe no one else will care about, except for those of us that are you know running uh, a podcast, putting photos on Facebook. But those glossy maps don't take photos real well. They they, they just they always glare on them. Uh, so if you're the kind of person that wants to throw armies out on the table, take some cool photos. Stay away from the vinyl ones. The mouse pad mats are awesome. They look beautiful, uh, and they they have a nice matte finish to them. So that way they don't uh, don't pick up the overhead lighting glare. Yep. Double photographer not- approved.
1: They're not going to bunch exactly. up on you, stuff like that. I, I, you know we, we were right, right. all on the tables uh, all night long for a couple nights with those things, and yeah, they didn't bunch up. You, you know you could put your drink on it, you know, whatever. It's, it's kind of nice. And you know awesome. rolling dice on it, it's quiet. It's, 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 it's a good material.
0: Okay, well, that's awesome. That's a, a lot of good gouge for uh, everybody out there. Who's listening? Who's saying? Well, how much should I invest? And I guess you know my thought always is, especially for a game like Blood Red Skies, uh, invest in at least one really good one. We you don't that, have to go overboard like we did, <laughs> but well, at least that, invest that's why in I one. I think
2: good I'm going to go with that farmland mat because that far, basic farmland mat that they I think they they sell that one at Tiny War Games. It could be anywhere. I mean, absolutely. it just looks like absolutely farmland, and it's, it's Korean. Yeah. It could be anywhere. It could be anywhere. And it's, it's, it it's a great mat. And I think, I think if people were looking for starter mats, that mat, and probably the, Eng, one of the English channel mats are definitely a way to go. Cause even though it's the Dover, it doesn't have the white cliffs on it. I mean, there's a tiny white line, but who says that couldn't be the Crimea or. Which,
0: which is exactly else. where it was perfect for shooting yeah. down Lindley's Wildcats. <laughs> 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 Sorry. I'm gloating about a second game. <laughs> No, I, yeah, I think those are some, some good points to think about. And, and once again, there's so many options out there, find something I I would recommend pick the high quality one first. And then if you find there's a lot of other things you want to do, uh, and you don't have the money, then maybe, uh, go cheap on, on the alternate battlefields. But, you know, along those lines, one of the big questions is, you know, not just what do you play on, but how do you get your miniatures there? Especially if you've gotten beyond the box set and now you've maybe bought another box of airplanes and painted them up and you. You don't want to get them beat up just throwing them in, uh, in a plastic bag and, and putting them inside your box set. Not that Chris did that or anyone else I know. But if you really want to take care of your miniatures, you know, you, how do you do that? Because if you go out to Battle Foam, you know, who I buy a lot of stuff from, and Chris, I know you've, uh, you've yep. bought from them before. I, I swear by their stuff, but you can't type in Blood Red Skies and, and find any, uh, uh, any Battle Foam ready to go. They, they have some other airplane games that are in there. Wings of glory and, and things like that, but they're not exactly the same style of airplanes, so they may not fit. But Chris, what do you, uh, what do you use from BattleFoam for most of your
2: I'm using aircraft? a one inch thick, large infantry tray, uh, which I use for all of my, my 40 mil Mechanica models. And I'm finding that that tray more than anything is the perfect tray for me. Um, one, I've already got the carrier that fits it. I already own the tray, but all of my airplanes fit in that tray right now the bombers are the only things that are a little bit iffy but i've got a couple other larger trays that, the good thing about battle foam too is battle foam will custom cut any any one you want i mean they, they actually have an area where you can go in and you can download all the different possible shapes you could put on a piece of foam and you can put all those different things down and you can send them that custom look and it's it's only like five dollars more to have them custom cut it and um oh, so oh, they oh, can I do that's,
0: anything. That's a whole rabbit hole you can end up going it, down Exactly. You can't account. and I've done it for some of my
2: <laughs> for some of my, you know, very different sci-fi models that have really weird shapes to them, especially me being a mechanicum player. It it's it it has helped because I do have some custom trays that fit all my stuff perfect. But if I was if I was a starter blood red skies player, and, and I was into other war games, I would look at the trays you already have because you probably have some infantry trays for 28 mil models that will hold your airplanes just fine. Um, Absolutely,
0: and, and it's kind of funny, the one that I've used, uh, because, Chris, you don't have any of the larger metal models, the, the slightly outsized Corsairs or Wildcats. Not be. yet, no. So they're a little bit larger uh, than the Spitfires and the, and the ME-109s. What I actually use is the inch and a half Dust 1947 infantry tray, because I had an extra one. It's a battle foam, large size. Uh, and I had moved a lot of my infantry over to, uh, to different battle foam trays. Uh, and so kind of when I found myself without a good way to carry my aircraft around, I used those and the aircraft fit really well in there, kind of catty cornered. Uh, so there's nice and below the level of the top of the foam. And the uh, more importantly, the bases also fit. So you can put two or three bases to, uh, to each one of those infantry spots. And it's a good way to carry a large number of airplanes uh, in a battlefield, battle foam large case, which uh, obviously most everybody who uses it these days now has transitioned uh, to the large cases. Um, but I, I think it's a great way to do it. But there's, there's a lot of things to be said for using stuff off the shelf. I mean, Brett, what have, uh, what have you got to carry your aircraft in?
1: I have a small GW case. Uh, so I don't know what it's called, but after GW, uh, they, they had the you know, standard pick uh, pluck foam or the little trays, like infantry trays, little rectangular cutouts in them. Some time after that, they came out with a, a new design for their cases where it's sort of a zigzag, almost like a waffle iron look to it, and it's just made to sort of accordion around whatever random shape model you put in there. Well, these uh, these uh, pieces of foam are perfect for these airplanes. In fact, I have a small case that's uh, slightly smaller than a than a briefcase, maybe – little larger than a like a pistol case if you will and i could probably fit my entire blood red skies armies with all my factions and flight stands and stuff in there and i've carried it before as a carry-on while flying and it fits nicely under the under the seat in front of me and uh, it's easy to cruise around with yeah and and it would be fine for my airplane so i'll tend to use that
0: I think those were the kill team cases that uh, that came out specifically for carrying uh, smaller model counts. Uh, so you didn't have to try to cram a whole uh, whole army in there. And those, you know, when I saw you use that up at Adepticon to uh, pack all your miniatures out of there, <laughs> that uh, that looked like it was a really good way uh, to do that and have a small case. If, if you don't need to bring all 40 or 50 of your airplanes, which most times you don't, most times you just need uh, a couple select squadrons of airplanes. And it allows you to put the larger airframes in there and not have uh, wings and and props sticking out like uh, like Chris and I sometimes have.
1: You'd be surprised that small case is too deep too, so it's got two trays in it, so you could get a bunch of planes in there.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the added bogos of playing Blood Red Skies is uh, is when I came down to visit you guys. I I was coming you know five states away, but I was I packed up all of my Mechanicum stuff and Blood Red Skies, all the stuff I already owned. It was like one box. I mean, it's, <laughs> I brought my entire Air Force down in one one foot by one foot by six inch deep box. And yeah, I wasn't using foam yet. I, I had I did have them in plastic bags, separate plastic bags. But but you can you can take so many of these models somewhere. It's just different than other games. I mean, when I move my Mechanic Army, it's a huge seventeen eighty battle foam freaking XL case um, to move a, a typical three thousand point force. But with with Blood Red Skies man, I can I can take almost my entire Air Force and run five or six different types of scenarios with different aircraft with a box that's tiny. I mean, that is right. one of the big
0: Absolutely. benefits of this game. Absolutely. Okay, well, that uh, that kind of covers how we're going to get a miniatures to and from the game. But there's a lot of things that aren't really miniatures, and they're not cases. They're kind of all these add-ons that uh, a couple of the different companies have put on out there, either as, uh, as acrylic markers or, or other components. Uh, one of the ones that I've seen uh, both used and abused uh, a lot are the acrylic prop discs. I know you guys have been doing a lot of the research on that. I've only ordered uh, some basic ones off Amazon, but you guys have gone out there and found a couple different uh, ones out there. Brett, what did you come up with?
1: Uh, like you, I saw the ones on Amazon, the Litgo ten millimeter ones. I thought they were pretty cool when I first saw them, but when I started when I got them and I actually started putting them on the models, it just didn't seem like the scale was right. Uh, I thought the disc was maybe not the right size, and I just started looking around and I found um, some really nice prop discs from aerodrome accessories. They're a, a hobby accessories website that has a bunch of stuff for um, wings of glory. I think it is, they have models and other accessories for that game, but these, uh, these uh, acrylic prop discs are appropriate for blood red Guys as well. And, and I think other people in the hobby are, are using them as well. I've seen folks post on um the blood red skies ready room on Facebook showing them. And I think that might've been where I first saw them, but, uh, anyway, they have different sizes. Uh, I found 14 millimeter discs where they're probably the perfect size for most of the planes that we're flying. They also have, um, different sizes and different, uh, different prop counts. So, you know, you can get two bladed prop, three bladed prop, four bladed prop in all the different sizes. And, uh, I'm waiting for, uh, I think his name is Kevin at, uh, aerodrome accessories to crank out some more of the, um, three blade props. And once I get those, I'll probably put those on most of my planes that I have built now. Absolutely. Yeah. I ordered some of those too. Yeah. What have you come up with? I I ordered some of those too. Um,
2: I, I don't plan on doing prop discs on any of my monoplanes, you know, my, my single engine. Um, fighters I just I like the look of not having anything on there of course I haven't done Corsairs or some of those that are kind of built to have something on it so I might change my opinion when I start building those types of aircraft but um, I think the only place where I plan on using them and I will use them is on bombers and um, the bombers especially the ones that come you know the small plastic models that you actually assemble like they're a miniature model um, they all come with really teeny tiny props that break off in five seconds so those are going to get cut off and and I'm going to put the the discs on those. But like I said, I don't know if I'm going to do a whole lot of them on my monoplanes. I kind of like the look of them. You know, it's a spinning prop. I don't see it um, kind of thing. You know, the airplane's flying. It's not parked. So, so I, I think everybody, for everybody, it's different. And I think with the aesthetic I'm going for, I'm probably just going to use them on my bombers. But I do like the ones that, that Brett found. Um, that guy is really quick, too. Um, he turned my stuff around. And I think he's on vacation right now is the only reason we haven't been able to get in touch with him. But um, he turns it around really quick. And if there's something you, he doesn't have, I mean, he'll make it. So
1: It's funny you said that about bombers, that you really want to use those discs there, because I'm thinking the JU-52s would look awesome with the prop discs on them, even more than the fighters. So
2: yeah, and that's I plan on putting them on the 88. Um, I plan on putting them on my my Soviet TV bombers. Um, so I, yeah, I I will use them on all of my multi-engine airplanes, maybe even on 110s. So they might look good. So, but the um, like I said, the single-engine monoplanes, I just I like the kind of point. I just like the way it looks without the prop disk. I think well, the prop I think you can get away with that on the paint job
0: on some of the inline aircraft. But, yeah, uh, on the radials, it just it to me looks goofy with this blunt nose out there with with yeah. nothing out there. And that so might be part of it. Course it I'm, in I'm in mainly really mean opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I've that done
1: thing. a little work on uh on drilling those disks out so they can fit over the the hub or whatever this, over the spinner, you know, so they're properly placed. They come uh packaged with um a small hole and they're covered with a protective tape on both sides of of the acrylic so it doesn't get scratched up or whatever. And the, the pre-drilled hole is too small to fit over the spinner. If you want to properly place it, you know, where, it. you know, I, I'm trying to, it's great radio, right? I can't really draw a picture, but imagine where the prop actually is positioned on the spinner towards, towards the cockpit on the, you know, in front of the nacelle, engine nacelle. It, this, if the hole is too small and you're just sticking it on there, it's way forward, right? So you have to drill that hole out the right size to slide it, over the spinner to the proper position that prop would be, or it just kind of looks a little wonky. And uh, it could be a bit of a chore because it's thin acrylic. It's not an easy thing to to drill. The method, that I kind of messed around with it until I found something that worked. I just simply uh, taped it onto a, a piece of wood that I could drill through onto uh, on a workbench. I just put a scrap piece of wood down, put the acrylic disc that still had the protective tape on it, taped it down onto the board and drilled down through it uh, to expand the size of that center hole with the appropriate drill bit and just work small to large and kept testing it until I got the right fit. And when I found the bit that was the right size and I could drill a few of those and then they slide right on. And I cracked a couple of them in that process, but if you're careful, it can be done without too much trouble.
2: Yeah. And okay. they're pretty cheap yeah. too. So buy extras. Well, awesome.
0: Well, thanks, Brett. I appreciate you for telling us how to Nicely and smoothly widen the hole to fit it over <laughs> the spinner, and I'll leave it at that.
2: Leave it to the ranger to give the Marines a
0: class on that one. We won't go any further on that. As as they say in other words, this is a podcast, right? This is a Blood Red Skies podcast. That's what we're talking about. Okay. Well, there's there's a lot of other acrylic pieces, and you know, once again, I'll go back to Litco, the company that made the original set of prop discs we looked at, the ones that I've used on on my uh, Spitfires and, and my RAF airplanes. They also have a lot of other stuff that at first you may say, well, why do I care about that? I mean, they've they've got some pretty cool markers for activation. They've got markers for high cover, markers for boom chits um, that, are, that are really cosmetic replacements. I mean, let's be honest, if you buy the box set in another squadron and Maybe a squadron after that. All of a sudden, you've got more boom chits, markers, and high cover markers than you know what to do with, right? I assume you guys are in the same spot. Yes, we are. Yeah, but but do you like playing with the acrylic ones? Do they look a little bit better? And, and they seem to hold up better from they're what I've far noticed. Far sexier.
1: <laughs> like my 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 my, my activation chits. Those are kind of cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So I just got I want to make sure that
2: Chris with a, little, with a little hammer and sickles on them. So yeah, they're they're much cooler.
0: I just want to make sure that you did call small pieces of acrylic sexy. <laughs>
2: hey, 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 it's Wargaming, man. And, and, and it's it's
0: <laughs> Chris may not get out much. How was it up in the UP? Boring up was, there?
2: I was a little bored in the UP. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, they also uh, make a set of rulers uh, and markers, uh, you know, a, a gun marker, a gun range marker. Uh, And personally, I like those. There's another set that's out there that's narrower. I know, Chris, you talked about uh, ordering. I'm going to
2: grab one of those. It's on Etsy. I can't remember the name of the company, but I'm going to grab one of those.
0: Yeah, we'll have to try that out because uh, even though the acrylic ruler is cool, uh, the problem still is you get in this uh, big fat finger issue of trying to move the acrylic uh, ruler out of the way, not knock over too many airplanes. Uh, And so so we'll have to try the smaller one.
2: The Etsy one looks like a reverse hourglass. So you basically set it to the side of the airplane, point it where you want it, and then you can move it along. So you're not actually on top of the ruler, because that was one of the things I hated. It's like, put the ruler down, move the airplane up to the number. Okay, hold the airplane in place, slide it out. And when you get in a furball where you've got like five airplanes around, that just gets just difficult <laughs> yeah yeah you're knocking over other people's airplanes well then you're like, yeah you're apologizing bad, to everybody like all these guys and we're all drinking beer because if this was competitive 40k i'd i'd have some freaking neckbeard freaking crime right now that i bumped his model
0: you knocked over my Thunderhawk. <laughs> thank goodness it's not plastic it would have broken all right so Whoa. now the 40k community hates me whatever i don't care <laughs> So yeah, so, so we talked about the rulers a little bit and talked about a lot of these acrylic add-ons. And, and to be honest, uh, there's a lot of different markers from different game systems you can use. Uh, we've talked about dice. You know, I, I bought a set of the RAF dice just because, well, I was a dork and, and wanted something different. And that's, uh, I, there's I there's just, a ton bought, cool I just bought the Warlord
2: dice, the Russian dice, for the Warlord games for the 28-mil for the game.
0: Um, right, so I saw their bolt-action dice. the dice better oh,
2: cool. than the ones they came up with for Blood Red Skies. Yeah, so, well, they're
0: British... British Army roundel one looks better than the RAF dice because yeah. I really don't care about this RAF crest. I'd rather have a you know UK roundel on it, but whatever. you know. Yep. Find some dice that make you feel happy and maybe make you feel a little bit lucky uh, so <laughs> that, that you won't want to melt them down when you lose. Okay, so there's one last piece we were going to talk about, uh, at least in this episode, for things you can do once you get beyond the box set. And it really becomes... Kind of a problem as you start buying metal aircraft or some of the larger bombers. And you find out that the regular flight stands don't work so great with these heavier miniatures. And Warlord does make an adapter that makes the base twice, three times as large, uh, which gets even more frustrating in a furball, um, yeah. but it gives it some stability. But I think there's a lot of other techniques and things you ought to think about from day one uh, to kind of make your bases future proofed. Because once again, sure, you'll get more bases with whatever aircraft you buy unless you go buy third-party airplanes, which we'll talk about in a future episode. Uh, but you might want to make your bases totally interchangeable. So a couple of the techniques we've seen out there, uh, a lot of people have gone out there and they've put washers on the back of their bases and they've epoxied them on, or some guys have just blue tacked them on so they can pop them off. Uh, and the primary reason they do that is because of the cardboard pilot skill disc that sits on there, that if you can't get a, a pen or a, a marker through the backside of the uh the plastic disc you really can't pop the cardboard disc off too easily without tearing it up. Uh so that's one way of doing it. Uh, Brett, you had another idea for something you could do on the base to keep it weighted down? Oh yeah, I was thinking I haven't
1: tried it yet, but I suspect it may work, some kind of metallic putty. I was thinking of uh JB Weld as a I think it's actually an epoxy, but it's used for uh, automotive repairs where you can put this two-part material together uh and uh you know, fix automotive leaks and stuff. I've used it in a beater old uh, Jeep I had to fix a, you know, broken water pump or something, you know, crack water pump, things like that. That's what it's for, but it's, it's pretty dense once it's set. So uh, that might work. It's, it's malleable, you know, you, you kind of like working with green stuff, except this is green stuff that's designed to replace metal, you know, f- fix broken metal. I bet it's got some heft to it. So it'd be worth trying.
0: Yeah, you'll you'll have to let us know. Uh, use it on a couple of your bases and see how it works out with some of the the heavier aircraft out there, uh, and see if it kind of compensates for for the aircraft being you know uh, a little bit uh, off center and over their center of gravity. You know, Something since, else I've seen out there since it's, is-
1: it's malleable too. It'd be that thing with the hole. I didn't really think about that, but if I if I you know, drilled through it or poked through that before it's hardened, then that would be a no brainer too because you'd have a hole right there. And be able to pop the disco. Yep. Yeah. that would probably yeah. work really well. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, there's you know, a couple different ways uh, that I've seen guys do it. They also have a little bit of markers on there that are these little these turning point markers that uh, they don't even have to flip the aircraft forward for disadvantage or, or back for advantaged. They just turn the little marker that's actually sitting on the center part of the stand. Uh, I've seen some guys do that because really they don't care whether the airplane's pointing nose up or nose down. They just want to know whether he's advantaged, neutral, or disadvantaged. Uh, and so that's another way to solve kind of the same problem and keep all your aircraft on the same playing level, um, but be able to mark their actual advantage status out there, which is which is pretty cool to me, because then you don't end up looking uh, out at a, uh, a battery of aircraft, whole squadron of aircraft out there that are all nosed down because they're disadvantaged as the ME-110s looked like when I was flying them. But uh, it's one <laughs> of those things. Awesome. Well, thanks guys. Uh, There's a lot of things that we've thought about, uh, you know, and I'm sure each of you also have some add-ons and other things that that we're going to talk about in, in later episodes for other aircraft types, other model types that you might want to add as you're going out there and and gaming. And and we'll cover that uh, here in another week or so, but is there anything else on the acrylics on storing the miniatures, anything else that you want to add, you know, starting with Brett? Think of anything that
1: uh, I'm kind of, I'm really curious about that, that measuring tool that Chris was talking about, I want to see that because I, like you guys, I was, you know, frustrated at times when I was knocking over people's models with my ruler trying to move things around. So I'm intrigued about that. that yeah, piece. I, I've been
2: actually thinking about writing the Litgo guys and saying, hey, because they will do custom work and just saying, hey, this is what some other people are doing. How about we do something that's exactly the way we want it and giving them yeah, a design yeah. and maybe they'll just cut it for the community.
0: And you, and you hit the nail on the head there. Cause the Litco guys uh, seem really responsive to, to coming up with new things. Uh, I haven't contacted them personally, but I think that's something that, that maybe the blood red skies community needs to do is go out there and say, can yeah. we get uh, some, some slightly more customized tools that do the same thing, but are easier in these larger multiplane battles. Because once again, when we're out there with 14 aircraft on the table, uh, sometimes it does get a little, little tight around fight center, uh, as everyone's swirling around trying to get, uh, in a tailing position on everyone else. Yep. That would definitely be an improvement. Absolutely. Well, thanks guys. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk about it tonight and uh, appreciate you guys also, you know, having the time to engage with the community out there on Facebook. Uh, so if you have not gone to our Facebook page for lead pursuit podcast, uh, go check us out, see some of the images. Uh, you can see uh, Chris and Brett's beautiful airplanes and you can laugh at my ugly ones, uh, but that's okay. I don't mind the abuse. I know I'm a terrible painter. Uh, and you can also go check out a lot of the images on Instagram. I, I want to give a shout out to everybody who's already uh, been out there liking the images uh, and especially saying good things about the podcast. So it's always nice to, to go out and read the comments on social media and realize people have found you out there when you didn't know you'd put that much information out. So I want to thank all the guys that have been doing that uh, and getting the word out about uh, the Blood Red Skies podcast for the uh, for lead pursuit the one thing i do want to talk about is the 700 pound gorilla in the room and we'll have it on an upcoming episode is mig alley is about to come out so we're about a month away uh from the release of that uh so hopefully we'll have some information here in the coming weeks about how the systems work how it changes a little bit with uh bringing jets into blood red skies uh and more importantly uh is it something you need to jump into immediately or uh do you want to wait a while let the rules develop and and decide if you're going to in for me 262s when they eventually come out and and add jets into your world war ii gaming rather than jumping on forward into korea personally i'm already you know uh, going uh in with both feet for korea um maybe put some p-51s out there as f-51s from the 1950s vintage and uh, and see what can be done uh, but i think it's going to be a good system uh, chris what do you think I think it's going to be really neat. I mean, it, it, for
2: me as a Russian gamer too, it'll be neat to have the the later pattern illusions out there with the MiGs. Um, there's just, there's a lot of playability. I think there's a lot of crossover playability with some of the airplanes that existed, you know, right at the end of the war that transfer over into Korea. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be a good thing and I'm looking forward to seeing the jets. I mean, it's just neat that the Jet Air is coming to Blood Red Skies. So and and I do like the idea. There was a guy that did a custom ME two sixty two the other day. Was asking, I think it was the Blood Red Skies Ready Room. And he was asking, "Hey guys, what are the stats on this?" So and everybody was giving him opinions on the stats, so he could so he could play the model already. But um, I, I think this community is great because you're going to see all kinds of awesome stuff like that, you know. And, and I think Miguel is just going to make it even bigger.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Brett. I know you've kind of been uh, volunteered into being our North Korean player since we're getting rid of one of your factions, the uh, Luftwaffe. Uh, by going to MIG Alley. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts on jumping in here soon?
1: I'm in. I'm in 100%. Yep.
0: Oh, just awesome. on the
2: Luftwaffe thing, too. I saw um, when Eric Hartman flew, was the um, was the head of the uh, the post-war Luftwaffe, um, his custom-painted F-86 saber Jet. With the um, German flag down the side, and it had the um, the uh, the red tulip paint job on the nose of the F eighty six, and that that would be just something badass to build for the game.
1: <laughs> I, think, I think Galan be <laughs> in Korea, but no, I mean, exactly. it would be badass to exactly. play for
2: the game. I yeah, I saw, so play I saw history. Play a little bit of alternate history with the um, you know, the Cold War.
1: I saw, I think I saw an aircraft, uh, an F eighty six that Galan flew for the Luftwaffe. Um, I think it was Galan. So. Anyway, there's there's stuff out there that might be fun to one-off.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, I I already know that, uh, sure, I'm going to paint up some MiG-15s because uh, we get a couple with the set. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, my F-86s are probably going to be from a variety of different uh, air arms and air forces. Uh, and there might even be Taiwanese F-86s, but I'll leave that for another episode and talking about some rules add-ons and, yep. and where the game goes after Korea. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate the time. It's always good to talk to you. And for the listeners out there, please feel free to drop us a line. Let us know what you think. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and most importantly, the rules that we have totally missed and gotten wrong. Uh, But we appreciate the feedback, and thanks for all the hard work.